Did you know that every time you listen to an ad on this podcast, you help cover the cost of producing Find Your Food Voice? Thank you to our sponsor, Equilibria Daily Women's Microbiome Defense. Because of them, my team and I can continue our independent podcast. Equilibria is a women-owned wellness brand with unique science-backed products that help bring your mind and back my mind and body back into harmony. EQ's Daily Women's Microbiome Defense is a three-in-one capsule that supports your digestive health and promotes gut barrier protection. It also promotes optimal vaginal pH. These probiotics were chosen because they are studied for women's health. And I love that you can subscribe. So if you find that Equilibria's Daily Women's Microbiome Defense helps you, you can subscribe so you don't have to think twice about running out and also save 25% off. I just started taking the Equilibria Daily Women's Microbiome Defense after a trip overseas that made my GI tract kind of funky. I am hoping that it helps make things just a little bit easier, easing back in. And also as a woman, as a woman in midlife, I'm always looking for ways to help with vaginal pH. If you are not in midlife yet, just be aware. It's a thing that is around the corner for you. So head to myeq.com and use code FOODVOICE for 15% off Equilibria's microbiome defense and much more. That's myeq.com and use code FOODVOICE at checkout for 15% off site-wide today. All right, let's get back to the show. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Say goodbye to the food police and hello to peace. Welcome to the Love Food Podcast, hosted by dietitian and food behavior expert, Julie Duffy Dillon. This authentically engineered series is in the form of a love letter, welcoming you to reconnect with food. Now pour a cup of coffee or a margarita and let's begin. And welcome to episode 136 of a Love Food Podcast. I'm Julie Duffy Dillon, registered dietitian and partner on your food peace journey. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for connecting today. I'm wondering if you are choosing to opt out of diet culture and body hate today. I really hope so. And I hope that this episode fuels your ability to continue to opt out as much as you can. For many people, things that they value can really complicate this decision to opt out of diet culture. What I'm talking about are things like vegetarianism and veganism. Those are things that really complicate our relationship with food because it's not just this is good or bad. It can be more of a value system or religion. And I don't know about you, but I think it's really important to respect what's close to our soul. And we have a letter today from someone who experienced an eating disorder and has had many different ways of relating to food. Yet what started it all was a restriction. And along those same lines, or rather at that same time, 
the person was introduced to veganism through a health documentary. And they're wondering, as they're trying to move forward, if it would be easier to recover if they no longer defined their relationship with food as a vegan. So maybe you listening are a vegan, a vegetarian, or decided you didn't want to eat meat anymore, or you only wanted to eat sustainable types of foods, organic foods. This is an episode for you because I want you to continue to heal your relationship with food, respect your values, and help you to decide amongst this murky kind of water what's the next best best step. And, And honestly, you're the only one that can decide. You may need someone to help you, like an eating disorder dietitian or a therapist, but I hope this episode helps you decide your next best step. So before we get to this episode's letter, a word from our sponsor. This episode of a Love Food Podcast is brought to you by my PCOS and Food Peace courses. If you're affected by PCOS, otherwise known as polycystic ovarian syndrome, you've been probably told at some point to diet not probably, you've been told to diet, to control this condition. You may have been told, unfortunately, that if you dieted hard enough, it would go away. That is completely, completely not true. And I wanna show you a way to make peace with food without dieting. Yes, there is a way to do that. I have a 12-step system that I've taken people through over the last 15-ish years, and it helps them to make peace with food, promote health, all without diets while affected by this PCOS. You can get to the details at PCOSandfoodpeace.com. Also, if you're a dietitian listening and you work with people affected by PCOS, I have a course for you. It has 20 continuing education units and I share with you the system that I use with folks and provide supervision along the way. You can get to the details for that course at PCOSandfoodpeace.com slash dietitians. All right, enough of all that. Let's get to this episode's letter. And we get to hear from the fabulous Jennifer Rowland. She's an eating disorder therapist and she has some special insight for this letter writer. Dear Food, my complicated relationship with you began when I was 13. I had become obsessed with body image and thought all my problems would be solved if I could just be smaller. So I began strict dieting and was eating less than XYZ calories a day. On this journey, my brain became obsessed with food much more than body image. I became anorexic. I wanted to be able to stop restricting, but I didn't know how. I was scared and worried I would lose control. My recovery began when I started seeing a dietitian who gave me the book, Intuitive Eating. If it weren't for that book, I don't know where I would be today. I began to eat more normally and gradually gained the weight back, although my mind was still very fixated on food for another year. Once I finally started caring about more things in life than food, about three years later, I developed binge eating disorder. Now, for a little more than two years, I've been struggling to make peace with my body and have spent many nights crying wondering if I'll ever be able to eat normally again. I know that binge eating happens when there's a restriction, which makes me afraid that my veganism is getting in the way of me being able to have a healthy relationship with food. I went vegan a few months into my strict dieting phase at 13, after watching a documentary promoting it, 
but that was mainly for ethical reasons as well as health. Now, I know that I'm not doing it for my health or anything body-related, but my veganism is a very important part of my belief system, and I don't feel like I could or want to give it up. It's been five years since my initial eating disorder, parallel with the amount of time I've been vegan. It doesn't really feel like I'm restricting myself since I'm so used to doing it, and there are plenty of vegan alternatives that I enjoy. However, every now and then, I'll be in a situation where everyone else is eating meat or cheese and part of me just wishes to indulge for that moment. I worry that when those feelings are left ignored, it triggers a binge. Love at a crossroads. Hey there, letter writer. Thank you so much for your note. And... I'm glad things are getting easier and you're reconnecting with food. I know it may not always appear to be easier, but knowing that your body's getting a more appropriate amount of food, and I say that with a little hesitation, just because I think it kind of can be relative, especially if a person's feeling like they're in the throes of binge eating, they may think that they're definitely eating enough. And I find as a clinician, that's not always the case. So that's just why I kind of say it with a little bit of hesitation, but I'm glad that you're not restricting to a certain amount of calories anymore. And I hope that these next few minutes gives you some insight on your next best steps. And honestly, it's a murky kind of conversation, but a really important one. Whether a person is vegan or vegetarian or follows some some kind of specific eating plan that has an ethical or a religious kind of connection, I want to be really, really respectful because ethics, religion, those are like really close to your soul. So I think it deserves that respect. Yet I also think an eating disorder and diet culture can really fuck with that. It can really mess and pull at our heartstrings. And, you know, some people who are not really holding those things dear to their heart or maybe not quite as dear as they initially thought. That happens because of their eating disorder manipulating with them. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give Jennifer Rowland a call. She's a psychotherapist and she specializes in eating disorders. And let's see what kind of insight she has over this experience. Hello. Hey, Jennifer. It's Julie Duffy Dillon. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. I'm so glad to be talking with you. And did you get a chance to read the letter I sent you? Yeah, no, I did. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for agreeing to help me with this letter. And, you know, I know you specialize in helping people with eating disorders and helping them recover. And I have a feeling this is not the first person that you've heard about who experimented with veganism or vegetarianism around when they first started their eating disorder. Am I right on that? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think this is something I see in my practice. And some people, it becomes pretty clear that the reason for veganism or vegetarianism was really related to the eating disorder. And then for other people, it does become clear that it's more of an ethical concern. But I think it's always really important to tease that out. Mm, Yeah, well, I'm... How have you found any ways to help tease that part out? Because I I have a feeling that's part of what this person is kind of just questioning or wondering. 
Yeah. And I think like part of it is just getting really curious about the kind of motivation without judgment. And so while, again, I'm very cautious when it comes to people in recovery about looking at motivation, because I know, you know, for instance, like in my eating disorder, one example I can give is I convinced myself I didn't like eggs. I actually really like eggs, but I was very afraid of them. So I really believed that I didn't like eggs. So it could be similar for somebody who has become a vegetarian or vegan in recovery. Like they may really believe that it's for a good intention, but it's actually their eating disorder. So usually I'll start by kind of getting a background in history because, you know, I do have one client who has been vegetarian since birth. Her parents are vegetarians. It was very clear it was not eating disorder related. And, you know, I have another client I can think of who is vegetarian and also, you know, her dream is to open an animal shelter. So it's very clear that it's not aligned with the eating disorder. It's aligned with her values. Whereas other people, it can be a little bit more murky. And that's where I usually err on the side of caution. Mm, Yeah. I feel like the murky is more of what I end up connecting with. um, Because there are people who are very clear. And when it's clear, it's clear. (laughs) You know, like you said, with those two (laughs) examples, like it's totally clear that that's more aligned with some values. It's really close to their soul. And then those murky ones, I find can be really tough because I know as a clinician, like I really respect someone's belief system, you know, their religious or faith or spirituality. And I feel like vegetarianism and veganism for some people can be in that same kind of place, you know? Absolutely. And I definitely think there are some ways to tease it out. You know, for instance, if somebody says that it is for ethical reasons, are they willing, and they're in recovery from eating disorder, are they willing to go out, let's say they're vegetarian and get like, you know, a brownie to my knowledge, I'm pretty sure is vegetarian. So are they willing to get like the brownie Mm -hmm. with ice cream on it? Or are they really trying to avoid things that they deem as, you know, higher calories? Mm -hmm. So that's, that's one way to tease it out is are they willing to eat desserts or other things that the eating disorder might be afraid of that meet the criteria of vegetarianism or veganism? Mm. Yeah, I wonder for this letter writer too, I wonder if that's going on because um, I certainly believe that binging oftentimes, and I believe as a dietitian, most oftentimes starts with some kind of restriction, whether it's like not eating enough or another kind of restriction, like either emotionally or something along those lines. And I wonder if there's not enough of that fun food going on that may be kind of mixed up with the veganism that are truly could still be vegan. Like I've always heard Oreos are vegan. <laughs> so like <laughs> maybe um, experimenting with some of those types of foods to see if that helps then with permission. But um, I don't know. What are, your, what are your thoughts on that part? That was actually one of my initial questions is I would want to know more about what she's currently eating because so many times I'll have clients come to me and say, I'm not restricting, you know, we're actively binging. And then I look at what they're eating and it's either incredibly low in terms of energy expenditure. They're avoiding certain foods. So maybe she's saying, or have rules around foods, like I can have dessert, but it's only once a week kind of thing. Or if they're physically allowing themselves to have everything, you know, in this person's case, barring things that do not meet her veganism, are they emotionally restricting? So is she eating a brownie and then beating herself up about it or feeling guilt? Because all of those levels of restriction can lead to binging. Mm. Oh, that's such an important part right there because we can be like having the foods, but yet are we still restricting in a sense emotionally by like always feeling shame whenever we eat, you know, something along those lines. I think that's such an important part. And, you know, whether or not this person feels like veganism 
And I want to include people who are also vegetarian in this, you know, maybe someone listening who identifies in that way, but whether someone's vegan or vegetarian, maybe they are emotionally restricting. What would you say are the first few steps that you'd recommend for them to try to heal? So I think making a list of foods that they deem as like good and bad, because most people who are emotionally restricting have some idea of this like black and white notion around foods. So foods, even if they don't see certain foods as quote unquote bad foods, like maybe foods they try to eat less often or whatever it is. So having them list those things out and then looking at, okay, so when you eat these foods, like let's say on their list of like unhealthy foods is a cookie, like what are the thoughts that go through your head? What are the eating disorder thoughts? And then gradually starting to look at how can we help them to challenge those thoughts and the behaviors. So I think there's a big difference between, you know, somebody saying, oh, I let myself eat chips. Like, you know, I come home, I'm trying not to eat the chips. Like, but basically what is actually happening is they're coming home, the chips are there, they're trying not to eat them, they eat dinner, then they eat some chips, like standing up in a really frenzied way, and then they feel very guilty, and then maybe that leads to a binge later that night, versus somebody who pours chips into a bowl, sits down, sits there, actually enjoys the chips, and you know is feeling at peace with that decision. Both of those actions are eating chips, but one is emotionally restrictive. Mm -hmm. So starting to identify that and then gradually starting to challenge it, um, you know, typically in small ways at first. Yeah, I can see how this can make the the veganism or vegetarianism almost like a moot point, because if it's more of an emotional restriction going on and working through that, it may not be something that really is this big deal. Like they, it may be easier to decide, you know, which way to go. Yeah. And again, like it's just so hard without having the full context of this person's eating habits because that's one aspect of it. And I would encourage them, like if there is some intuitive sense there of this feels restricted to me, okay, like, are you willing? Because they said, I don't feel that I can give it up or I don't want to. And what if, and again, this is not going to be the answer for everyone, but because they're bringing it up, are they willing to have some flexibility in there? So are they willing to eat, you know, something that is ethically raised, you know, once a month or whatever, like, do they want to try an experiment to see if the veganism is really impacting the binging or are there other areas of their relationship to food that really need attention? And it's really a moot point. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really good reason to hook up with an eating disorder dietitian and to really go through to make sure they are actually eating enough. And then if they are, like, are they feeling okay with that? You know, um, are they getting the variety and then also have permission for that variety. Um, I always have a link in my show notes for um, a list of eating disorder dietitians. And um, so you can definitely see that in the show notes. But um, there was one other thing I was curious too about with vegetarianism and veganism that I really, I don't know, I, there's something about how it's being discussed. I really am attracted to. And one is that not really having to be so into the label and being so exact with veganism. And um, you kind of mentioned that just a little bit ago about maybe experimenting, but I find that more people are talking about like, well, I'm just going to try to eat more vegetarian food, but I'm not going to like say I'm vegetarian. So maybe most days they are, but you know, a few days a week, they're going to include some um, animal products or meat. Maybe it's ethically raised, maybe it's not, but um, maybe for the most part, they just like vegetarian food and they want to eat mostly vegetarian. I don't know. There's something about that. That's like, I love the gray in that. And I remember there was a dietitian that I used to work with decades ago who was vegetarian. And she said, you know, the, the only times I'm not is when I'm at a cookout or what they call in 
um, well, up north, they would call it a barbecue, but where I live in the South, they call it a cookout. <laughs> but uh, but uh, they they have like hamburgers or hot dogs. Like she'll have that of all things. She's like, it doesn't matter where it comes from or whatever, but she's like, I just like to take a, like be a part of the community. And, um, and I also want to make sure I eat enough that day. And if I don't have that hamburger or hot dog, I'm just going to be starving and that's just not okay. Um, and I was like, I like that a lot. You know, that's a really wonderful way to just be in the gray and not be so hung up on the label of it. Yeah, no, I really like that too. And I think it also comes down to the values piece. Mm -hmm. And I think this whole question, obviously is very nuanced, right? Like I do think for some people, the same way some people have, you know, religious, they keep kosher, other things. Like for Mm -hmm. some people, it's like, I don't, want to be flexible in this because my value is that I cannot bring myself to eat an animal. And if that's the case, like that's fine. Like that's certainly somebody's right. But I think, again, it's really looking at values. So if that person values the social experience of social connection and feels that in order to be fully present, they want to partake in the food and be more flexible in terms of their vegetarianism, then that is perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Totally. Well, so I had one other question for you. Um, the person brought up the documentaries and um, I don't know, do you have any thoughts about that and how <laughs> its role in this? Oh my gosh. I have like a huge, um, I don't know why it's a smile on my face, but just <laughs> lots of feelings about this. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I actually, I don't know, I've had multiple clients who've watched some of these horrific documentaries that cherry pick data that is not based in, in science. Um, it was actually funny. I had one client who's a teenager who was like, oh, I watched this great documentary recently. And I was like, which one? And it was one, I can't even remember. Maybe it was like, what is one of those like diet culture ones that's What's out right health? now? Yeah. yeah like one of those. Yeah. And I was like, oh God, like I had a, I had a big <laughs> reaction to it. I was like, okay, that's really concerning because it's someone in recovery from eating mm. disorder. And I just think we need to be so cautious because so many of these documentaries are political and we don't know financial interests. We don't know the data. I think the problem is that people are so vulnerable to what they see, like if it's coming from an MD, for instance, as fact. So these documentaries will interview like so-called experts and authority figures. But again, like it is concerning to me when they're promoting one way of eating because we know that individuals and health is so complex and person specific. So any documentary that is like, this is the one correct way to eat for everyone, I would call that into question. Certainly. And this person was 13 or maybe 12 because it was right before the eating disorder started. And I'm hearing more and more about middle schools putting these types of documentaries into the curriculum. And that just makes me so scared. Um, I feel like that's going to be like, that's like the worst place to put that because that's when so many people, it's like one of the times that people are super vulnerable to start experimenting with food in a way that could lead to an eating disorder. So um, I'm like, if anyone's listening that has any control over curriculum in schools, please don't show these. Um, One of my favorite podcasts that I listened to about what the health, you know, that was one of them that Mm -hmm. we're talking about was um, Paige Smathers and her Nutrition Matters podcast. I'll put a link to it in the show notes, but her and um, Vinci, I cannot remember Vinci's last name right now. um, And another dietitian whose name is, I totally am not prepared to share this, (laughs) but but the three of them (laughs) dissected that documentary and um, went through line by line, the science that was discussed and looked through their sources. And it was it's such a great resource. So um, I think looking through it at a crit- from a critical eye is really important. And knowing, especially like visual mediums, they can really 
affect us like emotionally. And, you know, I'm someone who wears my heart on her sleeve. So I'm like, those types of things really pull and they can move us, which I mean, they're doing a great job, but they also can sway us in a way that's not health promoting and even accurate. So, um, yeah, so I'm glad to hear your insight into that. But Jennifer, we have something on the Love Food Podcast called a Food Peace Syllabus. And if you're a new listener, the Food Peace Syllabus is a list of resources like books, other podcasts, anything under the sun that helps your food peace journey. And Jennifer, I'm wondering if you'd like to add anything to it. Sure. So I have a few things. Um, I don't know if this book is already on there, but especially as it relates to this letter writer. I really love the Diet Survivor's Handbook by Judith Matz. I think I'm pronouncing her name correctly. Um, That's one of my favorites for people who struggle with binging. And then I would also recommend, I have some online trainings that I do for people in recovery. I have one geared towards binge eating in specific. And I also have a group um, therapy and coaching practice that works with people struggling with eating disorders all over the world. Awesome. Well, I'll put all of those in the show notes. And I love Judith Matz. She's one of my, like, she's one of the first people I ever connected with that talked about food in this way. And the Diet Survivor's Handbook was one of the the very first things that I read. It was fat as a feminist issue and then intuitive eating and then Diet Survivor's Handbook. (laughs) So I think it's such a great one. It's a, um, I don't know, I feel like it's a resource that's easy to read, but also like, can be reread over and over again. So um, I will put that in there for sure. And I will put your trainings in there. I think your resources are super helpful. Um, You're a clinician that I know that talks a lot about how um, size discrimination and fat phobia contributes to eating disorders. And I really value that type of conversation. I think it's really important and that eating disorders come all in all shapes and sizes. So I really appreciate that. And if someone wants to know more about you besides maybe the trainings, is there the best way to find you? that you'd recommend? Sure. So they could either go to my website and reach out to me through the contact form there, which is www.theeatingdisordercenter.com. Or I spend a lot of time ranting and sharing inspirational stuff on Instagram over at Jennifer, J-E-N-N-I-F-E-R underscore Roland, R as in rock, O-L-L-I. Awesome. I will put those in the show notes. Thank you so much, Jennifer, for your time and your expertise. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. So there you have it. At a crossroads, I hope this discussion with Jennifer Rowland provided you some deeper questions to ask yourself, to really dig deep into what is the reason why you chose to go vegan and do you want to continue? or maybe you want to redefine it in your own way. I see that food is written back, but before we get to that, this episode of a Love Food podcast was brought to you by my PCOS and Food Peace courses. You can get to the one for those of you affected by PCOS by going to pcosandfoodpeace.com. If you're a dietitian treating PCOS, go to pcosandfoodpeace.com slash dietitians. And if you sign up, it gives you 20 continuing education units. If you enjoyed this episode of the Love Food Podcast, I appreciate a rating review, subscribe or share the episode. Doing any of these acts of kindness really helps the show grow. I appreciate it in advance. All right, let's hear what food has to say. And until the next time we connect, take care. 
Dear At A Crossroads, Our relationship has been strained for so many years, and we've been relieved to see more permission to nourish your body and fuel your life. The last few years, we've noticed your fear. Fear that you're eating too much or will never meet your needs. Consider how deep your permission goes. Do you have permission to fuel your needs or only some of them? During our strained years, veganism became a part of your life. Is this still a value? Was it ever? Only you know the answer and only you can decide. Know that you can change your mind too. The key is continuing to have permission to fuel that mind so it can choose. Love, food. Thank you for listening. I am Julie Duffy Dillon, and this is a Love Food Podcast. Do you want access to more food peace? Jump on over to my website and join my email list. There, I share exclusive content that I don't share anywhere else. Get access to these tips and strategies by going to juliedillonrd.com forward slash sign up. And I look forward to seeing you here next week for another episode of the Love Food Podcast. Take care. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.